Welcome to the Groningen Feminist Network podcast. For anyone who doesn't know us, we are a community-led network of like-minded people, inclusive of all gender identities, sexualities, races, religions, ethnicities, education, class, and abilities. The GFN meets every Wednesday evening at 8 o'clock at Jimmy's to create a safe space for discussion. Our monthly podcast episode goes more in-depth about a topic we've discussed in the meetings. At GFN, we expect everyone to be respectful of each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt. That said, if you think we said something wrong, leave us a comment. Have fun! So, welcome. Um, we're going to just do a round of introductions to start with. My name is George, my pronouns are they, them. With me today is... Uh, Clarice and she. Is mm-hmm. fine. I'm Clem and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Natalie and my pronouns are she, her. So uh, we're going to start off with a question we've been asking everyone, a general question. This year's Lustrum event was centered around the themes of diversity and inclusivity. And we wanted to ask you what those themes mean to you, or what those terms mean. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I think they're sort of trendy terms that get thrown around a lot right now within institutions and also within institutions that I work in, like media. And I think there, uh, it's important. It's something to strive for, eventually, for diversity and inclusion. But I think they're only one side of the of the story. And I think that often it gets used as a sort of, um, how do you say that? Uh, is done cosmetically, then actually in depth and uh, structurally. Mm-hmm. So I think diversity and inclusion are important things to strive for. But I think that first we must talk about what do we mean when we say diversity and inclusion and where does the exclusion and the like homogeneity of society uh, come from and what does that mean and why is it important because often people in institutions think that just slap on you know a sort of person of color face onto something and then that makes it diverse but that's not what what we're talking about when we're talking about the issues that you deal with as a marginalized people thank you and that kind of leads to my follow-up question a little bit. And uh, what were your considerations when it came to participating into these conferences, growing together and celebrating diversity and fostering inclusion? Yeah, how did it factor into your decision to come here? Well, at first I was like, eh, I don't know if you want to do this because it's a really abstract sort of theme, fostering or growing together diversity. It's like kumbaya, let's all hold hands and, you know, like, yay. So that's what it sounds like. So you're like, mm. And, uh, you know, like I said before, these terms typically get thrown around to sort of also, on the one side, just, you know, count the amount of diverse heads and on the other side, makes, make the institution themselves feel like they're doing something when actually there's no real change implemented. Mm-hmm. So I'm always careful about what... Yeah, where, where, where I speak and, and when it comes to these terms, um, I always think about what, what the organization or the organizers mean when they, um, when they say that. Particularly these really archaic hierarchical institutes and exclusionary elitist institutes, you know, which I'm also a part of. So I was, I think, cautious a bit, but I also thought, it's, I also thought it was important to participate because, because of it being at a you know certain institution that has been so exclusionary for so many marginalized people for so long. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and often it's easier for people from outside to address certain issues that people from inside would get penalized for in a certain way. Yeah, so I think when you're in the work of sort of um, dismantling structures and addressing s- certain topics and 
broadening perspectives and expanding the notion of you know what does it mean to be a person basically and to have like a autonomy and to, have, to, have, to be valued that you should also be an ally to those within the, the institutions that might not have the same privilege that you have to speak out on certain things mm -hmm. so that was also a consideration that I made when making the decision to come here and um, yeah so it was like you know like two-sided and when I came here I was like pleasantly surprised and Okay, and also, I must say, I mean, I saw Professor uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, so I was like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. come on, that's going to be good. It has to be good. And then Professor Essed, and, like, so many names of people that I admire and, and whose theories and work I've tried, to, I've followed and tried to incorporate in my own. So that, you know, so that's something that you then don't say no to, even though you're like, well, the title is kind of vague. Like, what do they mean? But I mean, oh, Professor Crenshaw, okay, yeah. Yes. So, um, and then I was even more su pleasantly surprised when um, I just, when I was here and I heard all the keynote speeches and uh, saw the people that were here and the, the themes they address and the way they address them in the room and the space that we got to do that actually in our own sort of authentic ways. And yeah, that was great actually. Um, and all like the different facets and layers and how everyone applies this, the, the similar tools, you know, of the intersectional theories and principles to whatever you know, work it is that they're doing or whatever space that they're in. And it was also just very, like, warm and exciting and, and loving and subversive, I must say. Um, so I uh, actually am very happy that I chose to, to come here. And I've learned so much, so many things that I think that I can take with me to further, you know, my own work, but also life, because these things are also about who we are, you know. It's mm -hmm. not just about what you do, it's about the way you think and the way you the way you talk, the, the actions you take, and the way you look at other people, it's also about us, even though we might be the ones uh, doing the work. Particularly if you're the one doing the work, it's important to think about in, in which ways you're upholding these structures that you're trying to dismantle yourself. So, Thank you very much. That's really cool. That was a very long answer. <laughs> it's exactly what we, we need to hear, so thank you very much. And shall I hand it off to you too? Yeah, our first question might be like you um, a Dutch Women's representative at the UN. Yeah. So and many people would um, see this as a symbolic appointment. But what do you or what do you want to achieve in this position? So. Yeah, I mean you could see it that way, and I think a lot of people think, oh, it's, it's, what does that even mean? It's like bullshit function. I think to a certain extent, I mean I don't disagree, but um, yeah. <laughs> but I think. Yeah, the thing is, okay, so we've been doing this since 1947. The Netherlands have been choosing a women's representative since 1947. And it's typically, it typically goes to older, uh, you know, cis, middle-aged white women who have money because it's also a, a volunteer function, so you don't get paid for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even just that aspect excludes so many people who would maybe, you know, like to do something like this. Yeah, I think generally in my work, what I, what I on one side try to do is uh, infiltrate certain power structures and learn about them because you can't dismantle what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, on the other hand, you know, sort of create my own. And I think this function, you, you could say it's a symbolic function, and to a certain extent it is because you don't have real power and influence to change anything. But then again, that is also how the system and these you know, political structures work. So um, I think there's also power in sort of infiltrating these hierarchical elitist institute as someone who's typically not invited to the party, you know, and not conforming to whatever norm is set there, but setting your own. 
and also representing um, uh, other people that might identify with you and spreading your message in a way that you want to. And I think that uh, with this function, you get to speech during the General Assembly about you know your theme and women's rights, etc. And I mean, I won't change the world by you know dismantle everything by what I'm saying, but I think it's uh, we also shouldn't forget how powerful our voices are. That it's very important to speak when you have the opportunity. And if you can speak at you know the sort of most powerful, influential, multilateral political institute that we have, that is you know that is the best platform. And yeah, we should see that opportunity because we, we, you know, particularly you know, uh, women of color, black women, you know, queer people, all marginalized folk, we've been told that we're not allowed to take up space, and we don't have a say in things, and we don't have any influence in um, the world that we live in, that we participate in, that we build. And I just think that's some bullshit. And I think we can show that by by participating. And if you have the privilege to be able to participate, as I have, then I think that is also my responsibility to do, even though I might not be able to change everything overnight, it is sort of contributes to a certain um, discourse that I think is important to remind us all of. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting the way you bring up this sort of juxtaposition between being invited to a party mm -hmm. where you're not normally invited to mm -hmm. of, of the hegemony and then having the privilege of, of making yourself seen there. It kind of reminds me of, uh, so we had Sonia in here earlier yeah. as well, and her whole thing yesterday was like, well, sometimes you just got to make a new party. Right. But when you have the opportunity to go to the party, and you can really shake things up, which I think is also what happened here at the university, right. and I think what you were also trying to exactly. do is to like you go and you shake things up. Yes, I'm a disruptor. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I mean, you, also, you can create your own party, but um, which is necessary, so that's... Something that I also do, like I created uh, Lilith, the, our uh, feminist digital uh, media platform, to sort of show different media narratives and have you know different people from marginalized groups contributing to what we get to see and how we get to see the world from an intersectional feminist perspective. Um, you can follow us on socials and uh, um, our website is lilithmag.nl. But I also think it's important to, because then when we do that, it's like we're also saying we're not entitled to their party or to that space. Mm -hmm. And that's not true because just talking about, okay, first of all, we pay taxes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know? Yeah. And we, we work our butt off till, till like, what, till now it's 60, till we're 66. I, I, I don't even only have a right to it. I've paid for that. Yeah. So it it's also belongs to me. And, and I think that, that that's also sort of um, should be a part of how we talk about these things um, that next to creating our own parties, definitely, that's <laughs> I'm all for that, that we also have to sort of go to their parties and party poop it and disrupt, <laughs> <laughs> and disrupt crash, it. Crash the party and make it crash better. Crash the party, make it better, disrupt it, and um, in a way make more space for more like us to infiltrate or in, in, enjoy the party or sort of turn it, turn it around. Well, I guess this kind of leads to this next question where people who are in either marginalized or mar minority groups, they uh, feel that they often view through a reduc reductionist lens. And as a black woman, I was wondering if you ever felt that other people's perceptions limit what you can or should write about or what you can express yourself. If, if, that, if I let that affect me or if yeah. that's something yeah, that I'm aware of. Has or, it, or is it a perception that you experience, yeah. I guess? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and how does, yeah, yes. and how, what ways? And yeah, how does yeah. I mean, it's such a, to me, it's such a like 
the question that I can't even begin mm-hmm. to explain. Yeah. Like, it's in anything. I think there's very little expected of you um, when you're a black woman, except for you to sit down and shut up and you know be grateful. So that's basically the narrative, any and everywhere, and the fact that I'm not, and that I also have the audacity to to claim things and think I'm and know that I'm entitled to things upsets people a lot. So that's why I get a lot of you know. Uh, there's a lot of hateful rhetoric and there's like a, a lot of um, hateful comments and race and sex and sexist comments and threats that I get mm-hmm. because I have to tell that audacity to think that what I have to say is worthy of listening to. And I think that's um, the basis of the sort of uh, perception um, of uh, black women and who they are and what they should be, that you should be grateful. And I mean, women in general, but when you're a black woman, it just, you know, triples. And you should be grateful and, and, and not to, yeah, not think too much of yourself so that's the sort of uh, pushback that I get and even and, and I think it's important to note that it's not people think that it's the far right or extremist or you know trolls and that's actually not even the bad part I mean I don't I mean it's bad I'm not gonna say you know it's bad but that shifts the problem into sort of to, and, and, and puts the blame on one specific group when it's about you know how these concepts and, and constructs are ingrained into society in a structural manner, into the way we look at black women, into power dynamics. And um, that is not something that is sort of uh, done by only one group. It is the way our society is built. So it's also people that deem themselves to be progressives that uphold these same sort of uh, constructs and ideas. And you see that with, for example... Um, I don't know if you followed that, but with uh, Sofana Simonsen in Amsterdam, and when she was talking about police brutality, or not even talking about it, she just raised a question, and then the whole sort of um, council turned on her, and you know, literally said people also from um, yeah. uh, from uh, uh, so-called progressive and leftist parties that she should be she should be humble and sit down, and that is how black women often get treated, and I think when we don't do that, it upsets people a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for this response. Yeah, I feel like you see a lot that, uh, so also with Savannah Simmons and other black women who speak up in Dutch media about racism that they see as a systemic thing, I always feel like there's there's always a lot of pushback against anyone who speaks up yeah. against racism in yeah. the Netherlands, I think because the Netherlands likes to believe that it is the problem of individuals. It's a post-racial and society, yeah. Yeah, even though it's deeply, deeply not. But I think it's always very... Um, shocking to see just exactly how much comes just towards you as a black woman in that mm-hmm. intersection I guess yeah. to the point that I uh, read that last year you had to you filed a complaint um, mm-hmm. because you wanted to remind people like that's not how things are or should be yeah do you care to share about that? um like that? yeah so um basically what happened was I mean I generally just get a lot of hate comments um and um I filed a complaint also before that because it, it's it happens uh, more often but this was just so sort of yeah it has grown so exponentially that I thought okay so this is sort of the moment that I need to take action um, and not only file a complaint but also yeah make this a damn issue and talk about it because I think we often you know female journalists were like women in general like oh you know whatever it's fine and you know we'll be fine and da da and um, and you also see that those same mechanisms that we believe that we we don't have the right to complain, even though 
we're being freaking tormented is yeah. like, oh no, we'll be fine. No, it's, it's fucking torture. You're torturing me. And just because you think I don't have the right to exist and I'm allowed to um, speak out on that. And so uh, um, what had happened was I made a registration of an anti-P demonstration in Amstelveen during the Sinterklaas Intocht. And I posted it on my Facebook, it was my private Facebook, and I got like thousands and thousands of like racist and sexist comments, and, like like 8,000 or something like that. And, and death threats and rapist comments and etc. And uh, so I filed a complaint with the police and I also talked about it within media and talked about how generally, you know, women of color and black women get treated in media when you, when you work in media or when you're part of the public debate. And so that became sort of a, because it, it, it incidentally fell with Sa'ada Norhusen, who was columnist at Trau, quitting. And then that sort of shifted, I think, the discourse to, hey, <laughs> which is funny. It's not funny, but it's like, really. So the question was that a lot of media were asking themselves, hey, do black women get treated differently? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, well, wake up and smell the coffee. So, uh, uh, but I mean, that that is, in, in a sense, that's progress. Because before, that wouldn't be, I think 10 years ago, that wouldn't be a topic that would get picked up in this manner. And, and I mean, it says enough that I'm the, the first black woman to write columns for the NSA, um, um, yeah. to be a columnist, an NSA columnist, ever since they're, Founding, you know, and uh, and I'm only one of the. I mean, how many other three or four, or four, two? I don't even know. But um, generally, in, in mainstream media, yeah. So what happened was that I um, um, that that I then talked about just all the hateful comments I get generally when I write things, even when I write things that are not about race. The pushback I get is still very, uh, you know. There's a lot of anti-blackness. There's a lot of like um, um, sexism. And and, I, and and on the other side, there's also the fact that the, these these media institutions, um, the paper where I work, that they don't protect you, that they because they're not aware or you know of, of, of your position or of their responsibility, you know, with um, protecting you as a part of their organization. And because you're on certain intersecting identities, um, you receive certain um, hate that other people don't, and that is also their duty to make sure you have a, there's a safe environment for you. Uh, but also uh, think about in what ways people that are working there uphold these same notions that you're, you know, you're getting hate from from the outside because that also happens that people internally have problems with you, um, with me, and uh, yeah, so that's something you know you need to talk about um, because if you're talking about and that's what I mean when you're talking about diversity and inclusion, it's just not it's not just about okay, so we're gonna hire this person and then we're done. No, when you hire that person, you think about what kind of environment are you putting them in mm-hmm. and what kind of culture are you still. You know, what, what, what kind of culture are you putting them in? And is it a place that they would want to be and stay in and thrive? And that's something that sort of opened that discussion. And I, I'm hoping will change things because I've been talking to a lot of outlets. And there's also research being done. And um, there's like a protocol being made. And there's like this sort of um, uh, collaboration with the police and district attorneys and, and uh, journalists. Um, and so there, there are things sort of... So things are making. moving. They're moving, and I'm, I don't know if because then you also have to act. So of I don't course. know, but I mean, there's 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 movement in that sense. But I mean, it's 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 very um, frustrating and tiring that that movement has to come from the suffering of black women because that's then the only point, you know, when yeah, when of course, shit hits the fan that people are like, oh, maybe we should do something. Yeah, so. it's, it feels uh, at least if I understand it correctly, it feels like oh, we're always taking an action after a fact. After the effect, yeah, which is 
which is okay it's something but you preferably should something should happen before yeah and maybe listen to the people that are telling you before you know they're hurt in in, in traumatized in a way so bad that you can't do anything but act but yeah I, i am sort of happy glad i guess that they're there that there's some some movement and that um i can use my the position that i have to sort of try to make sure that it doesn't happen to someone um uh, someone else after me or and or if that if it does happen that there's sort of like a protocol or something to of fall course. back on mm-hmm. yeah this actually relates quite well to a question that we had or what you just said to what can you recommend to journalists and in practice what they um when they report of is- issues such as racism but they don't have any person personal experience what would you recommend to them why mm-hmm. do multimedia pieces about covering Well, I think it goes further than just uh, racism, first of all, and it goes further than just the reporter, but I'll, I'll answer that question. Um, uh, but first, I, I would want to say, because it's about, um, so the same power structures and dynamics that are, you know, permitting our society are within the institutions that we have, you know, it's logical. So if, if, if our society is, you know, um, if we have this... Uh, um, racist, xenophobic, anti-queer, very neurotypical society, then it's like that's what you're going to see in our institutions. And then people that deviate from that are going to be uh, marginalized and stereotyped and that's a disservice to you know your, your public because then you're not portraying the world in a multifaceted way, in the way that the world is, and not portraying people in, in a multifaceted way and in a very monolithic way. And, and then the consequences of that is not only that you just get to see a one-sided um, story or a one-sided person, it's also dangerous because when you continue on reproducing these you know, xenophobic narratives, for example, you dehumanize people. And when people are dehumanized, that's when they're allowed to be brutalized. You know, So um, I think a lot of uh, media don't think about the power that they hold in, in upholding all these sort of um, patriarchal um, uh, notions and and how they reproduce them uh, and what the res- responsibility is to be like just more humane in your reporting and more um, uh, consequential and more consistent and more, um, yeah, non-stereotypical. And I think what that asks is that you change your institution, first of all. You, ch- you, you think about, hey, in what way is our institution set up or our outlet set up that you know, the most marginalized, um, that were actually furthering their marginali- marginalization. And um, and personally, I think that that is the same question you ask yourself as the reporter. In what way are you uh, perpetuating um, stereotypes and tropes and, and also be really honest about what the things that you don't know and that you also need to hire people that know things from a different lived experience or from a dif- different uh, background, different uh, perspective. And that doesn't mean only race, it also means like a social black background, you know? I mean, media is also very uh, upper class, like middle class elitist in, in institute where people, a lot of people from you know, lower social classes don't get to, get to, get to sort of work in and um, uh, are always the subject. And so I think that's something that you need to ask yourself as a, as a reporter and as a journalist in what way you're, ways you're doing that and, and sort of try to be really honest with yourself about it and, um, yeah, and educate yourself, yeah. Do you think it's possible to report unbiased and really objective about certain issues that you're not maybe familiar with or in general do you think it's possible? If it's possible to be objective? Have, uh, no, yeah. I think objectivity yeah. doesn't exist generally. Okay. 
I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't be, there's no such thing as objectivity because you come from a certain place, you're born in a certain country, you're born in a certain part of the country because it's also different if you, you're born in an urban area or, you know, farm side, uh, for example, and um, you're a certain age, you know, you're a certain gender. So everything that um, sort of our, our, our identities and our environments um, tell us, inform our perspective. And it's not that they define our perspective, but they inform it. And I think being aware of that, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that makes you know that makes it interesting because then you get to see the world through the eyes of um, different people and from the perspective of a different people, which is a more accurate view than saying you're objective and then actually just showing this really one-dimensional, one-sided view. Um, so I think objectivity doesn't exist, and it shouldn't because that's not what the world is, you know. So I think we need to get away from the notion that you have to be objective because all subjectivity is often used as a tool to exclude others because others, because of their marginalized identity, are supposedly not objective enough. So that's how you sort of still keep that uh, homogeneity within media because only sort of cis, white, middle-aged, uh, um, uh, able men can be uh, objective, supposedly. Well, they're also coming from a certain uh, uh, viewpoint, but just not acknowledging that. So I think the first step is to acknowledge that you have a certain vantage point and that that's okay, and to be aware of it. I think we can we can strive to be objective, but we can strive to be truthful, and that is what I always try to say within uh, and do within my own work, to be fair and truthful. Yeah, that's all you can do, I think. That's a really nice sort of closing sentence. Um, yeah, unless you have any other questions, either of you. No. We, at the GFN podcast, we always have our segments that mm -hmm. we have at the end of like our main topic of discussion. Yeah. Um, and we have brought two segments to you. The Feminist of the Month, and just uh, asking mm -hmm. you, who is a feminist influencer, activist, social justice advocate, who has influenced your work or your life or your activism? And oh my gosh. The, wait, that's the one option, the other option, and you can again combine or do both. Or do either or, as either you Either or. Okay. Is um, monthly faves in which we highlight a piece of media, so a book, a film, an Instagram account, a YouTube video, a okay. YouTube account, um, a podcast, etc., etc., that you really enjoyed this month and would like to recommend to our <laughs> Can I promote myself? You I can. Mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. my, my uh, platform, Lilith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we, we just started out, so during my, uh, I say we, um, I'm doing it with my um, colleague and friend uh, Hasna Marudi, who also works in, uh, is also a journalist and a columnist and program maker. And um, yeah, we started this as, because of, uh, as we said before, it's important to also create your own spaces where you can, yeah, actually do the things that you're talking about and show the things that you're talking about yourself. So we had this amazing event with Soraya Chamali, who is an American author, and wrote the book Rage Becomes Her, about female rage and how rage is so uh, gendered and racialized, etc. And that was just really awesome. And we, um, so we're a feminist plat digital platform where we write articles from different perspectives and from, you know, uh, uh, and have uh, uh, people that normally wouldn't write for media um, write articles and we guide them, etc. And what we also do is we have an agenda where we collect uh, events, debates, and demonstrations, anything concerning like uh, progressive politics, intersectional feminism, and we, we put that online because we feel like there's a lot happening, but there's no place where all the information is collected. So you could see it as a sort of, um, yeah, like a schedule, like an agenda. And so if anyone has something for the agenda, you can email us at info at um, and we will add it to our agenda. 
And so I think it's very important to have our own feminist productions and also collaborations. We do a lot of collaborations and that, that we forget that there's also a power in our numbers and that we don't have to do these things alone and that we can support each other. We need to support each other and um, form a sort of counter narrative of what is you know happening within the mainstream. As far as feminist influences go, uh, well, Audre Lorde, obviously, isn't she like everyone's influence, was an American Grenadian writer, scholar, uh, feminist, lesbian, mother, socialist, and she really, actually, I um, I recently wrote about her um, sister outsider, uh, her uh, essays uh, in the the Groene Amsterdammer uh, in a book that a Groene Amsterdammer um, published. And uh, I wrote that she was talking about intersectionality before we had a term for it. She mm-hmm. talked about, you know, race, she t- the intersection of race, gender, uh, sex. Um, um, she talks ab- uh, uh, about uh, so class, um, um, disability, all these things. And she just didn't have a name for it. But she already sort of, and she really talked about it also from her lived experience and as a scholar. Um, so, and things that are really relevant today and I think have gotten slipped more into the mainstream also through uh, Professor Crenshaw. But yeah, she's amazing. She also writes about things like, you know, rage and the erotic and how, you know, um, marginalized people are stifled through also um, policing our bodies that because our bodies, you know, it's a very powerful thing. If you control the body, you can control, you know, the, a lot of the people in their um, sort of um, emancipation. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, all of these things, all of these traumas, et cetera, have, have, their, have, a, have a, an impact on the body and, and, and um, are also a way to sort of keep us small. And she talks about liberating yourself also through freeing yourself uh, sexually. Um, so, yeah, she's really a in, in major inspiration for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll uh, close for us. Thank yes. you so much for us. Thank you, thank so, you so much for having this is my water, sorry. You can drink. It's been here for a while. Oh, I don't know whose water <laughs> is this. I think it's like two water. two speakers ago. Oh my god, I just drank somebody's water. Uh, okay. Um. <laughs>